That was just very special. About three months ago, before Eric went into permanent care, there was one morning when he'd gone off to his dementia daycare and I had to leave in a few minutes' time and go off to an appointment. But I had this little ten-minute gap and as I looked in the, di- in the lounge room, my Bible was sitting on the coffee table. So I thought, oh, ten minutes is just nice time to read a short psalm. And I opened it around Psalm 90 and my eye lit on Psalm 87. We get that up? No. I don't know how many times I'd read that psalm before. It was only seven verses and I thought, oh, seven verses is just a nice amount um, to be able to get my head round in ten minutes. Often read, because uh, I've read through the psalms many times, so I've often read this psalm before, but that morning it grabbed me and it was just like I fell head over heels right into the psalm. And I began to see things that morning as I read the psalm And then I kept on reading it over the next few days and and by now it's weeks. And as I read it and thought about it and read commentaries on it and meditated on it, so God showed me all sorts of stuff. In fact, in the last couple of weeks he's still showing me stuff from this psalm. And it just goes to show it doesn't matter how often you read a passage of scripture, there's always something more that God could show us. And I've got a picture of the world here because it's all about God's love in action to the world and then how we are also are to take on that same love and share it with the world. But first of all, let's read through the psalm and see what it has to say. He has set his foundation on the holy mountain. The Lord loves the gates of Zion, or that's Jerusalem, more than all the dwellings of Jacob. Glorious things are said of you, O city of God. I will record Egypt and Babylon among those who acknowledge me, Philistia too and Phoenicia, along with Ethiopia, and will say, this one was born in Zion. Indeed of Zion it will be said, this one and that one were born in her, and the Most High will establish her. The Lord will write in the register of the peoples, this one was born in Zion. As they make music, they will sing, all my fountains are in you. Now, originally, the psalmist is writing a song about Jerusalem. Zion is just a poetic name for Jerusalem or the great gates of Zion. just simply means Jerusalem. And so he's writing this lovely song about Jerusalem, how much God loves Jerusalem. And even, actually, I don't think originally he meant those foreign nations the Gentiles, the people who did not believe in him. I think what he's talking about originally is that Jews who've been away from their own land of Israel for whatever reason, whether they were taken captive or whether they went as migrants to live somewhere else, I think what God is saying Even although you may never see Jerusalem, as far as I'm concerned, I love you just as much as anybody living in Israel. 
and if I'm writing down the names of the people who were actually born in Jerusalem, your names will be there too. Don't worry that you're a long, long way away. I still love you just as much as the people who live in Jerusalem. Beautifully encouraging words, I believe, that were written to people at the time. But as I looked at this psalm, what struck me were the prophetic words. I'm quite sure that the psalmist had no idea of the deeper meaning of what he was writing about. He was one of the clan of Korah and they were responsible for all the music in the temple. They were responsible for the playing of instruments and the writing of songs and the choirs. And so here is this song about Jerusalem but yet it looks forward and it looks forward to us now and we are actually in this psalm. I've underlined the things that specially spoke to me and this first one, the Lord loves Jerusalem. Now I'd read through this psalm for a couple of weeks And that particular phrase hadn't grabbed me. It's the sort of phrase that you'll read in the Psalms along with God is our refuge and strength and God is good and God loves his people. It's the sort of thing that you would expect to read, that God loves Jerusalem. And after all, it's a no-brainer. In Jerusalem was where the temple was. And of course, God loved the temple. It symbolised his presence. Andy was talking about that this morning. Within the most holy place was where was God's presence. And every day there was singing and praising God. There was the lighting of the candles. There was the burning of the incense. There was worship offered to God. There were sacrifices every single day. Of course, God would love Jerusalem. And just as probably most people who read this psalm, my eye had just gone over that and my mind had just ticked it off, well, of course, and I'd gone on to something else. And then one day I was reading the psalm again and I got to those four words, the Lord loves Jerusalem. And I had one of those moments that are like somebody slopped you in the mouth with a wet mop because it suddenly occurred to me, why would God love Jerusalem? Now, realising that for God, time means nothing. So let's skip forward four or five hundred years from when this psalm was written to the time of Jesus. What was going to happen in Jerusalem? Jerusalem was the place (coughs) where God's one and only son, the darling of heaven, would be rejected. He'd be spat upon. He was the subject of totally illegal trials. He was condemned unjustly. He was beaten. He was tortured with a crown of thorns. He was nailed to a cross and more than the physical agony of all that he bore, he became sin. He who was with the Father and the Holy Spirit in eternity, holy and without sin, 
not just took our sins on him, but became sin for us. And the result of that was that that fellowship between Father, Son and Holy Spirit that had existed through all eternity was broken and Jesus was abandoned by his Father. Why in the name of all that's wonderful would God love Jerusalem? This year saw the 20th anniversary of the massacre at Port Arthur in Tasmania. Now some of you will be too young to remember it or you may not even have been born 20 years ago when it happened. But it was a terrible event when Martin Bryant just seemed to have had a brainstorm and he killed, he, he shot dead 35 people and wounded another 23. So that's over 50 families that were affected by that tragic event. There was a memorial service held this year to mark the 20th anniversary. Now there were people who went to that service who could not have gone to Port Arthur at any time previous in the 20 years because they had lost someone and it was so painful and still so raw for them after 20 years that was the first time that some of them could bear to go back to that place. And I do believe that there were some people who couldn't even go back there after 20 years. Their feelings were just so raw at what had happened. Innocent people moaned down. Now we understand why they felt like that. So if you think about that, why would God not only visit Jerusalem but love it? The Lord loves Jerusalem? It's not a rhetorical question, it's got an answer and I'm looking at the answer. can't see you very well but nonetheless I'm looking at you. You are the reason why God loves Jerusalem because the death of his son on the cross was for you. Such is God's love for you and so did he want your fellowship so much that he sent his son to the cross and declares that he loves Jerusalem because that's how much he loves you. Now I have to say that took my breath away when I realised that. And if you get no further than that tonight, That's fine, you can sit with that because we're going to have communion in a little while and that's a great time to remember. God loves you that much. But Jerusalem wasn't just the scene of the cross. Jerusalem was the place where Jesus triumphantly rose again from the dead. So that not only might we know our sins forgiven, but that we might share his victorious life. We might have new life through Christ's sacrifice for us. No wonder that God loves Jerusalem. Now let me talk about the second thing that I've got underlined here. Where God talks about all these nations, I will record 
Egypt and Babylon among those who acknowledge me and all the rest of them and will say this one was born in Zion. Now the thing about those nations and it doesn't matter and I, I'm, uh, this is from the NIV but I actually took the alternate names so that we recognise the names of these places. You don't have to find them on a map, it's not a geography lesson. All you need to know is that these are nations to the south to the west and to the north. So these are the nations that surrounded Israel. And over the time from the Israelites leaving Egypt and coming to live in their land, these were the nations that had conquered them or attacked them or threatened them. These were their enemies. And what struck me when I was reading this, this is so different from what the rest of the Old Testament says about these nations. If you read through some of the prophets, it's woe unto them. You have attacked my people, said God. You've taken them into exile. You wanted to destroy them. So you're going to reap the consequences of what you have sown. They're not good words. It's not good news for these nations generally in the Old Testament. But look at this prophecy. Not only is God saying, when the time comes, you can become my people too, but he's saying, I'll record you as if you had been born in Jerusalem, where the temple is next to my heart, You are that special. Enemies you may have been, but with the death and resurrection of Jesus and the sharing of the gospel, you're going to share a place with my own people, the Jews. You are going to be close to my heart, near the temple in Jerusalem. Excuse me while I cope with modern technology. This message is for the world. This is God's love in action for you and me. We're there. As much as we are in that God loves Jerusalem because where Jesus died for us, we're also among the nations who didn't know him and his word is for you and me as part of those Gentile nations as well. But coming back to Jerusalem again, I can't get away from Jerusalem in this psalm. There was a literal fulfilment of that prophecy on the day of Pentecost because there were Jews from all that multitude of nations around the Mediterranean. And they came together on the day of Pentecost, where? In Jerusalem. And they heard Peter preach that first great Christian sermon and 3,000 of them were converted that day. Now, they were Jews. They were not native-born of all of those people. They were Jews who had scattered around the Mediterranean for one reason or another and they had come back to visit the temple and celebrate a couple of the feasts and the the, uh, particular uh, celebrations. Now, it wasn't when they heard the gospel preached that they were to just go back to the countries that they'd come from 
and work out how to be Christians and think, isn't this wonderful? Now we know about Jesus and his death and resurrection and we can be Christians now, not just Jews, but we can be Christians. No, the idea was they would go back to those nations and they would start to share the gospel with their Gentile neighbours. And so that was how the gospel began to spread around the world and it is all in this psalm. This just strikes me as so wonderful. But then there was something else I saw only within the last couple of weeks. Now in Jerusalem, we've already got Jesus dying, Jesus rising again from the dead. But on the day of Pentecost, what happened? The Holy Spirit came. Now, I thought about this. As good Baptists, all my life in any Baptist church I've ever been in, we've always celebrated Easter. We come to church on Good Friday and we have communion and we, we meditate on the cross. Then we come back on Easter Sunday morning and we have a great celebration because this is the day that Jesus has risen from the dead and that's the end of Easter and on we go with our life. I think we miss something and the churches that do celebrate Pentecost, they celebrate it on the actual time. Now there's a fair amount of time in between Easter Day and Pentecost because after all Jesus was with his disciples and he was seen by all those people after his resurrection and that took time and then he said to his disciples you're to wait until the next stage of the story and they didn't know what on earth was going to happen. So there's quite a bit of time that elapses. You know what I think we ought to do? I think we ought to have Easter one weekend and follow it on with Pentecost the next weekend because the story's not complete until you include the coming of the Holy Spirit. Jesus died for our sins rose for our justification that we might share his life but he didn't leave us to live that life in our own strength. The person of the Holy Spirit comes to us to enable us to live holy lives. I know I've said something things like this before. I sound like an old cracked record at time and you have to tell me when I keep sounding like an old cracked record and I've passed my use by date. But nonetheless, I do believe that the evangelical arm of the church to which we belong has sold us short on the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's yes, give your life to Jesus because he died for your sins, he will forgive you your sins And then it's kind of go on and lead your life in the best way you can and then eventually it's glory, hallelujah. But that time in between, while we're still on this earth, we have the Holy Spirit within us and he's there to give us the power to live lives for God, to live holy lives for God will grow in holiness just as a small child grows up. So we grow up in our Christian lives as we allow the Holy Spirit to transform our thinking and our lives. And I think that those three things, 
the death of Jesus, his resurrection and the coming of the Holy Spirit should all be celebrated, one, two and three, in all straight after each other because they are all part, to me, of the same occurrence. And something that was said last Saturday, I went to the healing seminar that the Uniting Church put on. I have the notes from that if anybody wants them. There was something very interesting said that I'd not ever thought about before. When God comes to you, he comes in the person of the Holy Spirit. But you don't just get the Holy Spirit and not the Father or the Son. They may be three, but they are three in one. They are a unity. You get the whole of God coming to you. And so I think for us to celebrate Easter and Pentecost and think about the whole work of God, the love of the Father, the sacrifice of the Son and the coming of the Holy Spirit into our life, to me that's just so exciting and special. But there's another phrase this, this psalm ends with another phrase and it is again a prophecy of the Holy Spirit. Now when I first read this, all my fountains are in you, I had a picture of, you know, the sort of pretty fountain that spurts out water and it's all very pretty and in the dry land fountains are very important because where people are short of water they love to see pretty water. Well, I don't think that that was probably what it means. The word also means a spring and I think that's probably what was in the psalmist's mind and that's one of the springs that feeds the River Jordan and you can see the water bubbling up out of the ground. It's a wonderful picture of the Holy Spirit. Now originally the psalmist I think is saying the source of my life is in Jerusalem. All right, I'm happy with that because that's where the Holy Spirit first came. What this picture of all my fountains and the source is in you is that my life comes from the Holy Spirit. He is the one who gives me new life. He's the source of that new life. But those springs bubble up constantly, 24-7, and they feed the river. You can have a tiny little spring, you can have a great big river. That little spring goes on feeding that river. And it reminds me of the words that Jesus said, that if we love him and follow him, out of our innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And it says he spoke this about the Holy Spirit. Now the living water originally means running water. That's what the Jews called running water, living water. But of course it has a secondary meaning, meaning that it's the water that brings life. And once again it's a picture that that water, that river flowing through me of the Holy Spirit is not just there for my comfort or for my, to praise him or even just to grow me like Jesus Christ. That is a river that is to flow through me to bless other people. It's through the river of the Holy Spirit flowing through me and out to the world that the world is going to encounter God. We carry the love of God with us.
we carry the capacity to bless other people as the Holy Spirit works through us. Now, I hope that your eyes have been opened to something from that psalm and may God bless you. I hope that you'll go home 